Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Circle Opens, a podcast devoted to a chapter-by-chapter review of Stephen King's The Stand. Do you need an affordable source for Stephen King books, movies, collectibles, and more? Make sure to visit Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Listeners of this podcast can use the coupon code THECIRCLE for 20% off their order anytime, and there's always free shipping to the United States. That's secondhandbookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah, and thank you for joining me this week on our journey through the stand. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe and healthy. And this week for episode 61, chapter 66, we're just going to jump right into things. I have nothing to ramble about today. So (laughs) here we go. To recap chapter 65, Randall Flagg is camping out in the desert, and he is quite mopey over current events and his own shortcomings. Being unable to pull off the judge's assassination, according to the plan, allowing Dana to die before torturing information about the third spy out of her, not being able to see the third spy. Flag has flaws and he doesn't like it. He's beginning to doubt himself. But on the upside, Nadine, his bride, finally finds him. Nadine, who is still having doubts about Flag herself. And when they come face to face, she is conflicted, feeling both lust and repulsion, The consummation of their relationship is not pleasant, and it traumatizes Nadine so badly that she essentially becomes catatonic. At the end of the chapter, Flag wakes from sleep, aware that someone has passed him in the dark, perhaps the third spy. But he cannot see who it is, so he falls back asleep. So we begin chapter 66 with Lloyd Henry, and he is dealing with his own problems. Carl Ho, or is it Howell? Carl Ho, an ex-Marine and airline pilot, has come to him with some pretty big complaints. There had been a flash fire out at the Indian Springs airbase that left one dead, three hurt, and another likely to die from the burns, as they had no one in Vegas who knew how to treat them. Carl delivered the news to Lloyd on September 12th, his cheek burned and blisters on his hand. The man who was likely to die from his injuries was Freddie Capaneri, who was one of the three pilots that Flag had, and that left two, Carl himself and another man named Andy. Carl informs Lloyd that his price for staying is getting rid of Trash Can Man, who Carl believes is at fault for the fire. Carl tells Lloyd he's got to go. If I have to tell him that, I will. I know he's got one of those black stones. He's ace high with the tall man, I guess. But hey, listen, Trash was responsible for that fire. My Christ, how are we ever going to get those planes up if one of the big guy's men is torching the fucking pilots? Lloyd is really uncomfortable with this conversation, and he asks Carl if he's sure that Trash did it. Carl is sure. Everyone knows that these weapons are like candy to him. Trash had returned from the desert with new things and had been showing them off to the guys. The last thing he showed us was one of those incendiary fuses. You pull the tab and there's this little burst of phosphorus, then nothing for a half an hour or 40 minutes, depending on the size of the fuse. All right, you get it? Then there's one hell of a fire. Small, but very intense. 
So while Trash is drooling over his new toys, Freddy Caponeri, the one who is probably going to die from his new burns, he tells Trash that people who play with fire wet the bed. Carl also continues and says, and Steve Tobin, you know him, he's funny, like a rubber crutch. He says, you guys better put away your matches. Trashy's back in town. And Trash got really weird. He looked around at us and he muttered under his breath. I was sitting right next to him and it sounded like he said, don't ask me about old lady Semple's check no more. You see, this seems to have triggered something unpleasant in Trash, who took his things and took off. Carl says that they all felt bad about it, as no one had wanted to hurt his feelings, since they generally liked the guy. And about an hour later, one of the fuel trucks goes up like a rocket. Trash was nearby, watching with binoculars. Lloyd isn't sure that this is enough evidence to blame Trash, but Carl continues. John Waite, who helped Carl get Freddy to the infirmary, went with Carl to check on the rest of the fuel trucks. He had seen Trash in the motor pool earlier, just about pissing himself. They found the rest of the fuel trucks with the incendiary fuses on every single one of them. Another 10 minutes, and they would have lost half of the base. They were able to pull them off, which is how Carl burned his hand. Lloyd knows now that this is bad. Someone's hurt Trash's feelings, and he's retaliating by trying to burn everyone up. Lloyd promises Carl that something will be done about it. And he spends the rest of the afternoon thinking about the problem. He tried to find Trash himself, but no one had seen him. Lloyd thinks that maybe Trash will end up just like Heck Drogan, nailed to a cross for the community to see. But maybe not. Things had happened lately that he didn't like. Dana, for instance. Flag had known about her, that was true, but she hadn't talked. She had somehow escaped into death instead, leaving them no further ahead in the matter of the third spy. That was another thing. How come Flag didn't just know about the third spy? He had known about the old fart, and when he had come back from the desert, he had known about Dana and had told them exactly how he was going to handle her. But it hadn't worked. And now Trash Can Man. Trash wasn't a nobody. Maybe he had been back in the old days, but not anymore. He wore the black man's stone, just as he himself did. After Flagg had crisped that big mouth lawyer's brains in L.A., Lloyd had seen Flagg lay his hands on Trash Can Man's shoulders and tell him gently that all the dreams had been true dreams. And Trash had whispered, My life for you. Lloyd didn't know what else might have passed between them, but it seemed clear that he had wandered the desert with Flag's blessing. And now Trash Can Man had gone berserk, which raised some pretty serious questions. As he's thinking it over in the cub bar, Julie Lowry approaches Lloyd and tells him that she needs to speak with Flag. Lloyd tells her that Flag isn't there, and after some major annoyance between the two, Lloyd gets Julie to tell him what she knows. She recounts her experience with Nick and Tom Cullen in Pratt, Kansas, and how she saw Tom Cullen in Vegas, and she just bets that he's spying, and how Nick might be there too. Julie asks Lloyd if he'll arrest Tom, but Lloyd replies that he'll arrest her if she doesn't get off his case. He doesn't seem terribly convinced that Tom could be the spy that they're looking for, which of course irritates Julie, who throws a fit and storms off. Still, after Julie leaves, 
Lloyd pulls out his notebook and writes down Nick's name, as well as Tom Cullen, along with a note to check in on him. Forty miles northeast, the dark man had consummated his long-term relationship with Nadine Cross under the glittering desert stars. He would have been very interested to know that a friend of Nick Andros's was in Las Vegas, but he slept. Lloyd's attention shifts back to Trash Can Man and what Flag might do when Lloyd finally tells him what had happened. At the same time that Julie is storming out of the cub bar, Tom is realizing that it's time to leave. The moon was full, after all, and it was time to go back. And he was glad for it, because he hated it in Vegas. It had a kind of smell to it here, a dry and rotten smell that you can never quite put your finger on. The people were mostly nice, and some of them he liked every bit, as well as the people in Boulder. Folks like Angie and that little boy Denny, no one made fun of him because he was slow. They had given him a job and joked with him, and on lunch break, they'd trade out their dinner buckets for something out of someone else's that looked better. They were nice folks, not much different from Boulder folks, as far as he could tell, but, but they had that smell about them. They all seemed to be waiting and watching. Sometimes strange silences fell among them, and their eyes seemed to glaze over, as if they were all having the same uneasy dream. They did things without asking for explanations of why they were doing them, or what it was for. It was as if these people were wearing happy folks' faces, but their real faces, their underneath faces, were monster faces. He had seen a scary movie about that once that kind of monster called a werewolf. Tom remembers seeing Dana once, but he hadn't seen her since. What had happened to her? Had she been spying too? Had she gone back? He didn't know, but he was afraid. Tom remembers Stu's instructions. Travel at night, sleep in the day. M-O-O-N, that spells moon. Laws, yes, Tom Colin knows what that means. Taking his knapsack and his bike, Tom started right out of town to I-15 by 11 p.m. No one saw him. No alarm was raised. He stopped around 2 a.m. for a light lunch and then went on. Las Vegas fell farther behind him, which made him feel good. At a quarter past four on the morning of September 13th, a cold comber of fear washed over him. He was near the man with no face, the demon who now walked the earth, Flag. The tall man, they called him. The grinning man, Tom called him in his heart. Only when his grin fell on you, all the blood in your body fell into a dead swoon, leaving your flesh cold and gray. The man who could look at a cat and make it puke up hairballs. If he walked through a building project, men would hammer their own thumbnails and put shingles on upside down and sleepwalk off the ends of the girders and and oh dear God, he was awake. A whimper escaped Tom's throat. He could feel the sudden wakefulness. He seemed to feel and see an eye opening in the darkness of the early morning, a dreadful red eye that was still a bit bleared and confused with sleep. It was turning in the darkness, looking, looking for him. It knew Tom Cullen was there, but not just where he was. Tom pedaled faster and faster, picking up speed to put distance between he and the dark man. He could feel that hot presence behind him. 
The greatest wonder was that that awful red eye had glanced his way, had passed over him without seeing, which Tom thinks is because he was bent over the handlebars so far, before closing again. The dark man had gone to sleep. How does the rabbit feel when the shadow of the hawk falls on him like a dark crucifix and then goes on without stopping or even slowing? How does the mouse feel when the cat, who had been crouched patiently outside his hole for the entire day, is picked up by its master and tossed unceremoniously out the front door? How does the deer feel when it steps quietly past the mighty hunter who is snoozing away the effects of his three lunchtime beers? Perhaps they feel nothing, or perhaps they feel what Tom Cullen felt as he rode out of that black and dangerous sphere of influence, a great and nearly electrifying sunburst of relief, a feeling of new birth, most of all, a feeling of safety scarcely earned, that such great good luck must surely be a sign from heaven. As dawn began to break, Tom stopped hid his bike, and found two large rocks leaning against each other. He crawled into the pocket of the shade beneath them, put his jacket under his head, and was asleep almost at once. This is a pretty straightforward chapter, but it sets up a few things that are sure to have consequences in future chapters. Trash Can Man, who has been out gathering some pretty dangerous weapons, seems to have no real loyalty to anyone in Vegas but for Flag. Here, he was someone else, someone important, one of Flag's chosen inner circle, wearing one of those dark stones around his neck, but being teased, even playfully, by the guys that he had been working beside, reminded Trash too much of his childhood, and I guess even adulthood, when he had been teased for being a pyromaniac. And this is enough to set him off. But Trash Can Man doesn't explode in anger. Instead, he sets up his revenge in the form of destroying what those men have been working on, and perhaps the men themselves. Clearly, Trash has no fear of flag, or maybe he just doesn't understand the consequences to his actions. He never did before the superflu, and that's what got him landed in jail. Perhaps... You know, his affinity and his love for fire and destruction is greater than his loyalty to Flag. He destroys a fuel truck, and it seems as though he would have destroyed even more than that. He would have taken out half the base, (laughs) probably gladly and with joy. But we don't really know what he's been doing other than going out into the desert and going who knows where to gather some pretty deadly weapons for Flag. After his introduction chapter and when he arrived in Vegas, we really haven't been with uh, Trash that much. We've heard him referenced by Dana, by Lloyd, but Trash has really been out there doing his own thing. So we don't know if he's out there setting fires and blowing things up, but we do know he's finding things the way no one else could find them and bringing them back. So I think that maybe he's been behaving up until this point, but that one conversation with those men, that one reminder, that one sentence, that phrase, uh, you know, people who play with fire uh, wet the bed, that really kind of triggers him into remembering all of the torment that he went through as a child and an adult 
because of his destructive behavior. And so he reverts back to that destructive behavior instead of burning down a church. Now he's trying to burn down half a flag's operation. (laughs) So he does end up killing a man and he fatally injures another. And the one that he fatally injures is a pilot. So Flag's plan shifts from having three pilots to fly over the mountains to Boulder to only having two. And Carl, one of the remaining pilots, is pretty fed up. And you know, he does have a point. Flag is allowing trash to roam free just to stock up on weapons. And that's having consequences now. It doesn't seem as though anyone is really watching trash or keeping him reined in. Flag is clearly distracted by other things. So that leaves Lloyd, who is essentially Flag's messenger. People go to him with complaints, etc. And it's up to Lloyd to decide what to tell Flag and what not to tell him. I think he sees he really doesn't want to have to talk to Flag about trash, given their bizarre relationship that Lloyd simply just doesn't understand. He's trying to find any detail that might dismiss the idea that Trash was the one who started the flash fire. But it becomes pretty clear that Trash is unhinged and he needs to be dealt with, especially now that he has more or less killed one of Flag's pilots and targeting the airbase. This is what is distracting Lloyd when Julie comes in to tell him that she knows Tom. Julie thinks that Tom might be with Nick Andros, obviously not knowing that Nick has since been killed. R.I.P. Nick. Julie is definitely angling for revenge here, but she also wants to get a good word in for herself for Flag. She wants Lloyd to make sure that Flag knows that it was her who told him about Tom. This does pique Lloyd's interest, but only a little, probably because it's Julie Lowry. (laughs) It's not enough to have him on the phone with Tom's boss at that moment asking about him. It's definitely not enough for Lloyd to get up and go track down Tom right away and question him. Julie is Julie, of course, and maybe Lloyd would have taken the information more seriously if anyone but Julie, all pouty-faced and bursting out of her clothes, would have been the one to approach him about it, especially after what happened with the judge and Dana. But Lloyd still makes a note to check on Tom the next day. But by then, it's too late because the moon is full, and we know that a full moon is when Stu instructed Tom to leave Vegas to return east to Boulder, travel by night, sleep by day. And Tom recognizes the instructions. The hypnosis worked. Tom is already ready to leave. And I loved the description of Vegas from his point of view, how there were people that he liked, how people were nice to him, involved him in things. Nobody made fun of him in Vegas, but there was a smell to it and to them. It's like they had been tainted by flags somehow, like all of their happy face masks were hiding monsters underneath. And it's such a simplistic way to describe the people in Vegas, but it's very, very effective, especially coming from Tom's point of view, because it seems like Tom recognizes the good in everybody. Um, But it's also like Tom can recognize, I think he's a really good judge of character. So I think Tom is able to see Vegas for what it is. On the outside, it looks great. Everyone's working. Everybody's friendly. Everybody's nice. But underneath that, they're monsters. And we kind of already knew that just from the fact that Flag can crucify somebody and nobody does a thing to stop it. And that could be fear, but 
Maybe it's something more. Even the nicest people can have a dark heart. So Tom is ready to go. He wants to leave Vegas behind him to get back to Boulder and to his house and to Nick and Fran and Stu and all the people he cares about. Even more interesting now is that he's able to just cycle right out of Vegas. Nobody sees him. Nobody raises an alarm. He's just gone into the night, putting Vegas behind him with every mile. It's definitely a relief to see Tom made it out alive, whereas the judge and Dana didn't. The judge didn't even make it to Vegas. Obviously, we already knew from the last chapter that Flag sensed somebody traveling by him in the early morning hours when he was out in the desert with Nadine, but he was unable to see who it was, so obviously he guessed in his gut that it had been the third spy, someone he hadn't been able to see this entire time. And from Tom's point of view, he knows Flag is there. He senses Flag, and he can feel Flag's eyes searching for him in the dark. Of course, because there's so many parallels here to the Lord of the Rings, I'm picturing the Eye of Sauron kind of like stretching out of uh, his, you know, tower looking (laughs) for the ring, aka looking for Tom. It's a really interesting parallel, Flag and Tom, that Flag senses him and vice versa, but Tom instinctively knows that Flag cannot see him. And I love that he thought it was because he was bent over his handlebars so far. Like Tom was ducking down from Flag's point of view, his eye, his vision, and his relief is palpable when Tom feels the eye close and leave him be. He was so close to danger, and I'm sure that if it had been anyone but Tom, Flag would have seen them and would have known and would have found and killed them. But Tom is special, and Nick was right. He was the perfect spy to send West. No one else had a chance. But Tom did. And now he's riding back east with who knows what kind of information for Boulder. So now we have Trash, who is quickly unraveling, set on destroying parts of Indian Springs. Perhaps all he needed was that push to finally light the fire. And will Flag be able to rein him in? Will he have Trash killed for what he's done? Instead of being able to pilot three jets, now he only has two. Things are still going wrong for him, even if he doesn't know it yet. Even Lloyd, one of his most trusted allies, is starting to question Flag's ability to lead. He's questioning why Flag didn't know about the third spy. He's questioning Flag's judgment of Trash Can Man. So I feel like Flag is starting to lose people. And I don't know what this means for Flag and for Vegas. If you look at this, Julie told Lloyd about Tom, and Flag wasn't there, so Julie couldn't tell Flag herself. Would Flag have known to check on Tom right away? Would he have sent someone to bring Tom to him like he did with Dana? Lloyd didn't exactly dismiss Julie's claims. He did write himself a note, after all, but by the time he checks in on Tom, it'll be too late. Tom is already gone. So will Lloyd face consequences for not moving faster, for not taking Julie's information as seriously as he should have? If not for Trash's behavior, distracting Lloyd, maybe he would have. And Flag, sleeping as all of this is going down. What is his responsibility? Does he have any? And I'm sure if you asked him, he would say no, he'd probably just kill you. (laughs) So things are definitely starting to get more and more complicated for Flag. 
His mopiness will probably turn to rage once he discovers what's happening in Vegas without him, and he's definitely starting to lose control of his dominion. You can't help but wonder how he's going to react to it when he returns with his new bride, Nadine. But you won't have to wonder for long because Flag will return to Vegas next week in Chapter 67. Dun, dun, dun. And that's it, you guys, for this episode of The Circle Opens. I hope that you enjoyed it. I'd love to know what you think of this chapter and what's going on. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at thecirclecloses at gmail.com. You can get in touch with me at thecircleopens.com or on social media at The Circle Opens. Um, thank you guys so much, everybody who has left me a kind rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You're all amazing. I appreciate you guys so much. Um, I truly do love all the kind words and the emails you've been sending me. You guys are so awesome. Thank you. If you're enjoying this podcast, did I already say that? You can <laughs> you can leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Um, and that's really pretty much it. Before I go, I just want to give a quick shout out to all my WLI pod peeps out there. Thank you guys so much for being supportive and being amazing podcasters yourselves. If you guys are looking for new podcasts to listen to, I highly recommend checking out the hashtag WLI pod peeps on Twitter. Um, you will find some amazing new podcasts to listen to, or maybe you're already listening. I don't know. But if you're not, give them a look, um, give them a listen. And that's it for this week of The Circle Opens, you guys. Um, I hope you're all staying safe. Wear a mask, social distance. Do your part to uh, help get rid of this pandemic. So M-O-O-N, that spells. See you next week. <laughs>